0: This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit Californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. One of the issues researchers face is getting access to needed biospecimens with detailed clinical data that can expand the understanding of a specific disease or treatment. The difficulty in obtaining biospecimens can hamper R&D productivity, extend the time of a project, and increase cost. NovaSeq has developed a platform that provides access to real-world data and supports the ability to define patient cohorts based on detailed clinical criteria such as demographics, diagnoses, medications and lab test results and supports the collection of biospecimens at various time points the platform also offers healthcare organizations an opportunity to develop a new source of revenue we spoke to Kate Torchland CEO of Novaseek about the challenges researchers face in getting biospecimens how Novaseek seeks to address that and how the company's platform can help to accelerate biomedical research. Kate, thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. We're going
0: to talk about NovaSeka and the problem it's trying to address through its clinical data network for research platform. Let's start with the issues researchers face today to get access to biospecimens and, and clinical data. How much of a barrier is this to getting research performed in a timely manner, and what makes this difficult?
1: So, no, thank you. It's a um, very good question. And I think I, at the even high level, I, I think one of the biggest uh, unmet needs and what drives really a lot of inefficiencies in current research and development process is the lack um, of patient-centric approaches, right? And the lack of really uh, kind of common language, common capabilities for researchers all the way from discovery in the lab through clinical trials and on to uh, new therapies actually going onto the market, You know, to, to have common and profound understanding of real world um, patient and kind of that need manifests itself on many different levels, including uh, a lot and just you know ability to understand the patient and get access to um, you know clinical data that are real world data and reflecting the true patient, and also get access to um, you know, biological specimens from patients that are reflecting. Um, as closely as possible, the disease or clinical condition that you, as a researcher, are actually studying. So I think that um, the overarching need is just to get that access. And what made it historically and still to a large extent very difficult is that um, there is just no, no easy way... Uh, to get that understanding and to get that access to real-world uh, patient data, and then from there, you know, to patients and biological assessments from those patients.
0: Oh, we're seeing a rapid proliferation of genetic data available today, but by itself, that has its limits. How, how much of a challenge is it for researchers to connect genotype to phenotype, and, and why does that matter?
1: No, that, that's another <laughs> very good question, and obviously there is, uh, you know, huge proliferation of omics research in general, right? There is proteomics and metabolomics and genomics, um, and genomics especially, but all of them ultimately, all of those types of research rely on extremely, extremely detailed uh, biological investigation of a patient or biological specimen from the patient. And so you end up literally with terabytes of data after you complete that biological part of the experiment. And where um, kind of another huge inefficiency of nowadays research lies is that then the researcher who has now this terabyte uh, of genomics data, uh, you know, starts thinking, okay, what does it really reflect in terms of the status of the disease in the patient and often only to discover that the clinical information that they have uh, on that biological specimen that they just started is actually very limited, right? So you have terabytes of genomics data on one end and then maybe you know that patient has diabetes, right, on the other end, but you really don't know the stage of the disease or how the patient was treated. And that, that mismatch, I think, really creates a lot of inefficiencies and makes it so hard to discover new and validate meaningful either diagnostics or um, therapeutics for a variety of um, conditions. And I, so that is, you know, overarchingly what we're trying to address because we believe that everything that happens in the research lab or in a clinical trial should be very as clinically significant as possible. And so we believe by providing more detail and more color around the real-world clinical data, in addition to genomics data, will make the whole research enterprise uh, more meaningful.
0: As a society, we we've tried to be very protective of medical privacy. I, I think it's becoming clear, particularly as we enter this era of big data and electronic medical health records, that... We're failing to capitalize on the vast amounts of data we have in health records to improve our understanding of disease and accelerate the development of new therapies, as well as better evaluate the safety and efficacy of existing medications and prevention strategies. Before we discuss what NovaSeq is specifically doing, do you think privacy concerns have impeded the use of valuable data, and, and do we need to rethink medical privacy in this context?
1: Yeah, so that is um, obviously hugely important ethical consideration, and we actually be- believe uh, that you know addressing privacy concerns of the patients and conducting uh, really top notch research should are not mutually exclusive and never should be, and patients' the privacy should take really really big priority. And so, um, in our minds, there are probably three very important components of uh, addressing how uh, the patient and clinical information is being, tra- you know, addressed and engaged in, uh, in- into the research process. And first, in our minds, it's very important to educate, you know, patients and you know, healthy individuals uh, about, the, the type of research that's being done and the importance and what it means for them individually to be participating or not participating. Uh, so education is one very important component. Uh, second one is obviously complete you know, informed consent of the patient, right? So again, any uh, individual should be making very well-educated, decision if they want to participate in research-related activities or they don't want to participate in research-related uh, activities. So consent is a second very important component. And then third, ultimately for um, for individuals that express the interest to participate, the respect to the privacy and security of the data should be obviously, you know, one of the primary concerns uh, of researchers on other end. So Again, the three kind of prone, prone approach that we think should be followed and that we're, you know, following as a com- uh, as a company with everything that we do. First patient education, second informed consent, third, you know, respect to privacy and security. And that's where, uh, really the technology, the way it's been developing, not just in medical field, but in general in our society with, um, um, is really kind of a tide that's lifting all boats because right now there, are, there is a lot of precedent and there a lot of very secure and uh, highly automated technologies that exist out there and now can be applied to how we uh, collect and process and organize and store and use medical information as well for, for research purposes.
0: Well let let's talk about Novaseek. Give me a little background about the company. When was it founded? What what's it seeking to do and and how does it fit into this greater issue we've been discussing?
1: Yeah, no, thank you. So with Novaseek, uh, I think we um can really store uh the need and my personal my own kind of personal professional background uh is all in the life sciences research, uh, both working in academic institutions uh, as well as in uh, companies that are developing new diagnostic tests and developing better methods of doing uh, research. Um, uh, and so, and really observing the needs and bottlenecks in this process that a lot, many times came to, back to the issue that we discussed earlier. Uh, about really the need of understanding the real world patient, right? From the moment you're still looking at the tube with like cells in them and then you kind of radiate the mouse and then ultimately from a mouse into a, a human clinical trial uh, and then onto a therapy that actually goes now into the doctor's and patient's hands really understanding the patient throughout that continuum um, with we, we a lot of bottlenecks there and then Looking at the other side of where the patients currently are, right, and where they kind of in, interact right now with healthcare system inside the hospital, and realizing that there, there is a lot of information there and a lot of really good work and interaction with patients that happens there, and then the question: How now then do you match the tools so that you can really uh, utilize without creating uh, any inconvenience for the patient or for the hospital, but how c- can you start leveraging what happens in those healthcare settings um, to address some of the bottlenecks on the licenses research side? And so that's really what drove us to kind of contemplate um, our clinical data network for research and the ways to really enable that automated way, uh, way to access uh, patient biological specimens, and uh, associated clinical data to facilitate research.
0: Well, can, can you explain what the clinical data network for research is and, and how it works?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, at a very high level, um, it, it is a really way to apply uh, the latest and greatest in health IT technology to solving life sciences tasks. And, uh, so there is a lot of technology and logistics, uh, that makes that platform work. And I'll describe how it you know, works in a second. But ultimately, we're trying to achieve, uh, three main goals, right? So we're trying for the researcher who is contemplating, uh, clinical studies or discovery work inside the lab, right? To, to give that person, uh, Extremely easy to understand and uh, intuitive to navigate um, access to uh, clinical information that's going to facilitate, you know, the planning and increase clinical significance of research. On the other hand, uh, we're trying for the hospitals uh, and the patients to give them extremely easy ways with full respect to privacy and consent and without interfering with the general course of patients receiving care uh, to actually share uh, biological specimens and data for research purposes. So that's at the high level what the platform is trying to achieve, you know, give the uh, easy and understandable information to the researcher, and then really give a very easy and enabling way for patients and hospitals, for consenting patients and hospitals to share that. Um, the underlying, um, kind of in and out of how that platform actually works. Um, we interface with some of the existing, uh, clinical data sources inside the hospitals and, the uh, clinical information inside the hospitals resides Within laboratory information system, within electronic health records, within some other pockets of uh, information inside the hospitals. And then, um, when patients, uh, are consenting to participate in uh, NovaSeq programs, right? Certain types of clinical information is then shared with NovaSeq and then, and then with the researcher. Who is requesting variety of biological specimens? For example, from you know, patients with diabetes or for patients with certain cardiovascular conditions, and so, so that's at the very kind of high level how the whole uh, platform. So, is.
0: so when you get a, a a biological sample, there is some kind of a medical history attached to it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, from the um, researcher, or clinical researcher standpoint, as uh, the the you know, the, the value of this uh, access to really real-world information comes at two points. So first, when they're just planning the experiments and they're really trying to oftentimes trying to understand or need to understand what types of patients are even out there, right? So if I'm contemplating uh, a research for an early predictor of type 2 diabetes disease and how it's going to progress, I'm trying to understand how many patients might be there who started developing disease based, for example, on HA1C levels within the last year. And, you know, how many of them tend to be males or females and maybe what are the kind of demographics and things like this, right? So that then I can um, collect biological specimens to validate my marker for an early diabetes disease from the most relevant um, patient population. And so at this point, research really needs To um, access to population level analytics, right? How many uh, patients out there who just started having elevated HA1C levels? How many of them are males or females, right? And so this is one area where researchers start uh, interacting with novice and clinical data network for research, just helping them formulate really meaningful studies. And then... um, very quickly, they zero in then on that cohort of patients from whom they would like to receive biological specimens for their studies. And then they, um, as they receive those specimens again from consented patients within our network, each uh, specimen will come with fairly detailed clinical annotations. Along the lines of what researcher requested, right? So it will be patient demographics, it will be relevant laboratory test results, uh, it will be you know relevant diagnosis, right? This patient was diagnosed within the last year, maybe that patient was diagnosed within the last five years. Uh, very importantly, researchers only receive coded information on patients, and there is uh, absolutely no way for them to re-identify the patient. But they get enough information. Um, Enough real-world data information together with a biological specimen to really enable this study.
0: And, and how do you work with researchers? Is this through a subscription-based model? Do they come to you and request specific types of data they're looking for?
1: Yeah. So I think it's uh, the, the very first um, the the very first thing that we really now educating uh, the, the the researchers on. Um, is about how, you know, the importance, first importance, I think, is broadly recognized. Researchers know that they need access to more real-world data so that they can plan that experiment, right? Historically, there was just no easy way for them to, to get that information. So we're educating them about such tools now being available through clinical data network um, for, for, for research novice, that core offers so that they can start looking at the population-level uh, analytics and then request specific specimens or formulate the cohorts of patients that they would like to follow, for example, and keep collecting maybe biological specimens as, you know, HA1C level increase and, you know, diabetes kind of progresses in certain patient groups. And so, then they continuously receive also the biological assessments from those cohorts of patients.
0: How much ability do researchers have in firm defer- in terms of defining a, a desired cohort?
1: So they um, they probably have um, you know com- compared to you know hi- historically w- what has been available to them when they're trying to. Um, define uh, what exactly they're looking for. I think really what um, clinical uh, data network for research offers is that tremendous um, improvement and significant leap forward. Right, so researchers can really formulate um, the request based on you know, patient demographics, um, variety of problems such as you know, different diseases as well as comorbidities, right? So, for example, if somebody is looking for diabetes as accompanied by certain heart conditions or uh, elevated high blood pressure, what's not, um, medications that might or might have not been prescribed to a uh, to patient, um, historical lab test results such as HA1C kind of uh, trends. And so that's really fairly detailed uh information right um, about the disease profile that they can be requesting and um, another very important um, thing to, to note here that in, in addition to those kind of fairly detailed profiles um, that they request uh there is immediate feedback uh kind of mechanism that's built into the CDNR platform that if researcher submits a request, for example, for cr- patients with Crohn's disease, right? What uh, if historically that request would travel all the way to, you know, the doctor or a laboratory inside the hospital and saying, well, there is a there is a research project and people are looking for Crohn's disease patients. Uh, the reality of medical practice is that patients are not recognized as having Crohn's disease, there are about eight different subtypes of Crohn's disease that the doctor will be categorizing the patient uh, into one of those kind of eight Crohn subtype buckets. So now, if that information then doesn't go back to the research and say, well, there are eight subtypes, which one do you really want to study? Or maybe all of them, or maybe you don't care. right? So if that question is not being asked, and, in fact, researcher really wanted just one subtype because of the type of marker that they're studying, for example, then there will be a lot of, really, uh, research that will be done and ultimately not resulting in a very good, you know, markers being discovered. So with our platform, we're really enabling researchers to go to that level of detail and give them immediate feedback. You just ask for Crohn's disease, which subtype, and, you know, Tell us, and then they can immediately refine again right, the request. So, so it goes to that level of really detail and get all ultimately with the goal to educate uh, research community about real world patients as much as possible.
0: But where in the research continuum do you see this having the greatest value? Where where do you think it has the greatest opportunity for providing insights? Uh,
1: so, so I think of like the. M- my perfect and visionary answer is that at every single step of the research process, people should be uh, people in, inside the research and development enterprise should be uh, you know, utilizing common platform uh, and being on the same page about the real world patient. You know, starting again from very early in the discovery, when you are just now thinking of how the whole program discovery program will look like, and all the way to actually launch a new therapy uh, on the marketing. And the, the more there is uh, commonality in people really um, inside R&D thinking of the real-world patients in the same terms, the more efficient the whole um, flow of the development will go. But I think we're ultimately quite long ways away from that. CDNR is the first step towards that, to enable people to have the same platform and start speaking the same language, but um, there is much work needs to be done. Uh, so the most, um, the most use that we see now I, in the areas where people transitioning from one type of study to another, such as, for example, translational medicine, where researchers start transitioning from the world of cells and mice to the, to, to the world of uh, actual real human beings being enrolled in clinical trials. So then at this point, they really now need to revalidate the discoveries and hypothesis from the lab to kind of the the, the bedside. So this is one area that um, is very important. And then assessing feasibility of clinical trial protocols, you know, if, again, for the development of a new new molecule, a new therapeutic. There is a concept that you need to enroll 400 patients with certain clinical profiles. You need to start assessing, right, how many of those patients are actually out there and how do you optimize um, your cohort. Uh, and then also when uh, ultimately the new therapy is on the market is um, and patients begin to use it outside of the context of a clinical trial, how do you now continuously, without creating, without interfering with clinical practice and without creating a lot of burden for the patients and for the doctors, how can you continuously monitor, right, for any side effects or any additional um, positive effects from your new therapy? And that's, again, another area where you need, as a researcher, continuous access to real-world data and biological specimens from such patients. So it's mostly right now translational medicine, early clinical feasibility, and post-launch observational studies.
0: And how do you see your platform growing and changing in the way researchers work?
1: Our ultimate vision is uh, of a world where that clear understanding of real-world patients is really central to every stage of life sciences research and development. And with everything that we are doing and will continue to do, we're really trying to transform how scientists and clinical researchers uh, access and interact with um, real world, uh, clinical data and try to accelerate medical advance through, um, uh, speedy drug development for more targeted populations.
0: Kate Torchland, CEO of NovaSeq. Kate, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you.